Father, Lord, I thank you for the Sabbath day that you've given us. Lord, it is a little bit cold outside, but we thank you that it's warm here. And Father, as we look into the continuation of the story of Jonah, Lord, help it to help continue to convert us. And Father, as we grow closer to you, we know that you will grow closer to us. This we pray in your name. Amen. So two weeks ago, if you remember, we left Jonah in a pretty precarious spot. Uh, if you remember, Jonah went down to Tarshish, and then he went down into the boat. You're starting to remember. And then after he was down into the boat, he went down into sleep. And then he was cast down overboard into the water. And finally, a great fish opened up his mouth and swallowed Jonah. And Jonah was even down further. Jonah might be the one that has gone down furthest in the oceans even today. I'm not sure. We talked a little bit last week or two weeks ago about how that fish or that whale, wherever it may have been, could have actually swallowed Jonah. And we did a little bit of research on that. And we found the important word there that we read in Jonah was that God prepared a fish. You know, God still has creating power, doesn't he? And it could have been that God used a current species that is still out there. I don't know. But all I do know is that the Bible says it and I believe it. Jesus believed it to be true, and I believe it. And even if science says that it is impossible for a man to be swallowed by a fish and in three days still be alive, I first of all believe that science says that it can be true. But because the Bible says it, brothers and sisters, I believe it. But Jonah went down to Joppa. He was going down, down, down. Lots were cast to see whose fault it was that this big storm had took place. And it fell to Jonah. Now, I'm not sure how God used the lots and all that gambling little thing there. But he did, and it fell to Jonah. And Jonah, as we find him, is there in the belly of this great fish. Jonah is about ready to have a wake-up call, isn't he? No, I don't know about you, but oftentimes in our lives, it takes us to get to rock bottom before we realize that something is wrong. And Jonah had a rock-bottom experience. If you take a look at Jonah chapter 2, Jonah chapter 2 verse 6, you find this. Jonah chapter 2, we find Jonah in prayer. And look what he says here in Jonah chapter 2 verse 6. He says, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yes, hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto you, into your holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Jonah should have prayed a long time before this, shouldn't he have? As soon as Jonah had some doubt in his mind about where he should have gone, he should have been on his knees. But the first time we find Jonah actually in prayer in the book of Jonah is when he's in the belly of a great fish. He's got seaweed wrapped around his head. And he is down at the bottoms of the ocean. And then he finally decides to pray. You know, so oftentimes we as Christians do the same thing. When a trial approaches us or something along those lines, we do everything that we can to fix it. And our last resort is prayer. When our first resort should be to be on our knees. There's a lady in one of my other churches who a couple weeks ago was having some back pain. And so she decided to go into the doctor to get it checked out. And on her kidney, they found a growth the size of a tennis ball. And they also noticed that her lymph nodes were starting to become sore. 
And as they continue to examine her this past week, they found that it's most likely stage four lymphoma. Now, survival rate of that isn't good. And I remember talking to her this week and, and going through some verses with her of comfort. And she says, I guess all we can do now is pray. And we say that off. We say that a lot. All we can do is pray. There's nothing else that we can do. But prayer is something more powerful than just a last resort. It isn't something that all we have left is to offer a prayer. But prayer is something powerful. And if we have faith that God will operate his big plan, then I believe that we will see answers to prayer. And Jonah here, as he is down on his knees, he's obviously a man of God. And as he is there, he doesn't really make any excuses for his wrongdoing, does he? He doesn't at all. But he says, I will give thanks to God that I am in this belly of the fish. This is interesting stuff. Now, you remember a couple weeks ago, you probably don't, but we talked about the Ninevites. Now, I don't want to get too in-depth on that anymore, but we saw the Ninevites were pretty evil people, right? We saw that they were very murderous, and we talked about a couple of those instances that they were, and we don't need to go into that anymore. But the Ninevites also were a polytheistic religion. Now, polytheism means that we be- that certain religions believe in many gods, all right? We as Christians, Seventh-day Adventist Christians, are monotheistic, which, believe- which means that we believe in one god, right? But one of the, the, one of the um, Ninevites, many gods, was the god of, let me get this right, Dagon. Now, Dagon was a god that was very interesting. It was related to the god of Ishtar. Dagon and Ishtar were both gods or a goddess of um, fertility, And the god of Dagon was a fish god. He was part man and he was part fish. Now, the reason that he was part fish was because fish in the minds of those ancients was a symbol of fertility. Now, I don't know, but when I was growing up, my parents allowed me or they didn't really allow me. I just bought them. I bought a couple guppies, right? Now, guppies, you can buy at the the pet store for like a dime a piece. They're really, really small and they're really easy to take care of. They don't eat much. And so they thought, okay. But guppies, if you get the two right kinds of fish, within about four weeks, I had about five guppies, six guppies, I think it was. Within a couple months, I had about 32. And as I continued to go on, I just had quart jars and just full of guppies in my room. They mass produce very quickly, right? And over and over and over again. This is why Dagon was a god of fertility. Now this god, and I can show you a picture of this later, but this god was very interesting. If you took a look at him in those ancient descriptions and the ancient stone carvings, you'll find that he looked just like a man. He had a body just like we did, but he had very long hair. And his hair wasn't hair like we have it, but it was scales, all right? Now, of course, this God doesn't exist. I'm not saying that he does. Just describing what they thought this God looked like. And this God had scales that would cover his entire body that was grew from his head. Really interesting, right? And if you take a look at Nineveh, you'll notice that when Jonah was spit out, the Bible says that he was spit out in a three days journey. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But the Bible actually says that Jonah was spit out right along the side of where Nineveh was. Now, if you look at Nineveh, you'll find that Nineveh isn't anywhere close to any large mass of water. There isn't a sea. There isn't an ocean. There isn't anything like that. But there is something very important. There's the Tigris River. The Tigris River is a very large river, and it's very deep, and it's very wide. And it actually ran right along the side of Nineveh. In fact, 
In some maps, I'm not sure if it's exactly true, but in some ancient maps of Nineveh, we find that the Tigris River actually ran through the middle of the city, just like it did in Babylon. So when no, when Jonah was spit out of this whale, he was either spit out on the side of the city right there, or it could have been, it's very possible, that Jonah was spit out of that river in the middle of the city. That's something else, isn't it? Now, as Jonah is there, let's, let's, let's continue to read this. Jonah chapter 2, Jonah chapter 2 and verse 10. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Verse chapter 3, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid you. That's the exact same thing that God had told Jonah to do a long time ago, right? Days prior, God had told Jonah, go to Nineveh. And after this big experience with this great fish, which must have been pretty nasty, right? Can you imagine being in the belly of a fish for three days? That wouldn't be pleasant, right? But after this great trial that Jonah had, he was finally spit out. And did God's plan for Jonah change? They didn't, did they? We can resist all that we want to. We might think that God has forgotten about us or that we have maybe gotten away with something, but does God's plan ever change for us? It never does. And Jonah, as he is spit out there, he is spit out exactly where he needs to be. And look what it says here in verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. Now a lot of people think that Jonah, once he was spit out, had to walk three days to get to Nineveh. That's not the case. Nineveh was such a big city that in order to go around the city preaching three times, in order to walk around the circumference, it took him three days to do that. That's why it says it was a great city. So as Jonah there was preaching in the streets of Nineveh, it took him three days to walk around the entire place. All right. That would take some time. Now, this is really interesting stuff. We talked about a couple weeks ago that the Ninevites and the Assyrians in general, they hated the Jews, right? They hated the people of God. There had been people that were Jews before that had been brought into the gates of Nineveh. But once they were brought into the gates of Nineveh, they never came out again. They died a horrible death. Jonah was perhaps the first Jew that went to Nineveh that didn't pass away in that sense. Now, obviously, Jonah was preaching about Jehovah God. If you walked into a city as a Jew preaching about Jehovah God, you probably wouldn't last very long, right? If I was doing that in those days and I was a Jew and preaching that message, the captain of the king's guard would probably hear about it very quickly. And within maybe a matter of a half an hour, I'd be taken away and very quickly I would be executed. That's what you would think. But for some reason, these people allow Jonah for 40 days to walk around the streets of Nineveh and preach this message. Now, this message wasn't just anything that was lovey-dovey and really easy taking. But look at what Jonah was actually preaching here. Jonah chapter 3 and verse 4. And Jonah began to enter into the city a, a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Not only was Jonah just preaching, but he was saying, Listen, if you guys don't shape up, this city is going to be overthrown in just forty days. Not only is he talking about the Jehovah God, not only is he just a Jew, but he's speaking treason to that king of Nineveh, isn't he? And as Jonah is allowed to do this, it just builds my faith knowing 
that God had his protecting hand over Jonah. Not only did God have his protecting hand over Jonah, but it really makes me know that God can use all of the trials that we have gone through and use them for something good. When we go through a trial, it makes us stronger for one. But often, when we overcome a sin or we've been in sins in the past, it helps us to relate to people later on in life, doesn't it? Some of the things that were difficult for us to deal with, maybe we overcame an addiction. Well, when you overcome that addiction, it's powerful because once you've overcome that addiction, you can share with other people how to overcome addictions. And as Jonah there had been spit up out of this great fish, I'm sure it was a terrible, terrible three days. But if these people in Nineveh believed in a fish god, and let's say you're walking down the streets of Nineveh someday, and you see this great fish come out of the water and spit a man out onto the streets of Nineveh, and you believed in a fish god, what would you think? (laughs) The gods just delivered us a prophet, right? Now, I'm not saying that that's true, but I'm saying that the Bible says that that is very possible, right? It's just, it's, it's too coincidental for me to believe that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish and that God wouldn't have used that to Jonah's advantage. I believe that he did. And as Jonah was spit out onto those lands of Nineveh and he started walking up and down, the people had respect and they knew that this fish God, if it were, was speaking truth. And they allowed him to continue to preach on. Now, we'd think that Jonah would be pretty excited about this, right? Take a look here at what, what the size of this city. Go to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. And we're going to read here in verse 11. Look what God says. And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousands persons, and cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. As Jonah was there preaching to this great city, he was preaching to a city of 120,000 people. That's a lot of people, especially for that time period, right? It's a lot of people for now, but especially in that time period. And as Jonah was preaching there to that city and saying, this city is going to fall in 40 days, 35 days, 30 days, 20 days, and Nineveh is going to fall, 10 days, he started to get people's attention. And the book of Jonah tells us, we're not going to read it, but the book of Jonah tells us that it even got word to the king of Nineveh. And at the end of that 40 days, every single soul in Nineveh had repented to Jehovah God. That's powerful, isn't it? I would be pretty excited if we converted the whole town of Tustin. I would be stoked if we converted the town of Luther. But this is 120,000 people we're talking about here. And it just goes to show that even somebody that is unconverted like Nineveh, like like, like Jonah, which we're going to see in just a minute, Jonah was obviously unconverted. Jonah converted those mariners there on the sea, on that ship in the sea, didn't he? Jonah was able to convert the town of Nineveh or the city of Nineveh, yet we find that Jonah's heart still wasn't in the right place. What drove Jonah to preach for those 40 days? Well, we find that Jonah really didn't have any compassion for those people whatsoever, which we're just going to find that in a minute. But Jonah was so driven 
to speak this to the people of Nineveh, not because he was hoping that God would have grace for them, but he was waiting to see the people of Nineveh destroyed. He was excited about that. And it gave him pleasure every day to walk up and down the streets and tell these people, just wait in 30 days and see what happens. But yet our God in all of his wisdom was able to use a man like Jonah to convert a city of 120,000. God spoke to a fish. God spoke to a burning bush. God spoke to a donkey. God can speak through you. I'm not saying that you don't have to be perfect in order to speak what God has you to speak. You should be as perfect as possible through his name and through his blood. Amen. We should be converted witnesses. But it doesn't matter what you're like, brothers and sisters. God can still work through you. And if Jonah had been converted, wow, what more could he have done if he had been truly converted? So let's see what Jonah does here. Jonah, we're not going to look at this, but what he does here in Jonah chapter 4 Jonah chapter 4, we find that Jonah, after the end of the 40 days, decides to go up to a side of Nineveh. Now, the side of Nineveh that Jonah decides to go up to, if you look at the geography of Nineveh, it was actually up on a hill overlooking the city, all right? So Jonah goes up to this big hill and overlooks the city of Nineveh, and I can just imagine it there. He leans up against a a gourd or a booth that God grew for shade for him. That's a whole other story. We're not going to get into that. But Jonah there, he gets up there, and if Jonah had had popcorn, he would have popped it. Because at the end of those 40 days, he sat down there on the top of this mountain overlooking Nineveh and he had a little smile and he thought, I'm ready for this city to be completely eradicated. I'm ready for it to be destroyed. And he's excited about that. And as he's sitting up there on top of that mountain at that 40th day, waiting for it to be destroyed, what happens? It's not. Jonah chapter three, verse 10. And God saw their works people of Nineveh, that they turned from their evil ways. And God repented of the evil, and he had said that he would do to them, and he did it not. Now, God doesn't need to repent from sin. That's not what that word is talking about. There are certain prophecies that God tells us in the Bible that are real prophecies and conditional prophecies. There are certain prophecies that God says, listen, this is what's going to happen, and it happens no matter what. But then there's conditional prophecies. If Nineveh would have not repented to the Lord, that prophecy would have been fulfilled. I promise you that. Nineveh would have been completely destroyed. But because that city repented, that conditional prophecy was eradicated. And God met his word and said, you've repented, now you will be saved. We all have a prophecy just like that hanging over us. The Bible tells us very clearly that if we do not repent, if we, not, if we do not become like little children and follow him, that the wages of sin is death. That's a prophecy. But then there's also another prophecy that we can choose as well. If we die daily and claim Christ's death upon us, brothers and sisters, we can be free of sin. And we will enjoy eternity with our Heavenly Father forever and ever. Which prophecy do you want to be a part of? And the people of Nineveh decided that they wanted to be a part of God's church. In better terms. So here we find in Jonah chapter 4, look what it says here, Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. What in the world? Jonah just converted a city of 120,000 people, and he was angry about it. Jonah must have been quite a preacher, but he was angry for some reason. Now, I, I looked and looked and looked to see why Jonah would be upset about this. I mean, he converted a city of 120,000 people. 
Prophets and Kings gives us something that really just blows the top off of this. Look what it says. When Jonah, this is Prophets and Kings, page 271. When Jonah learned of God's purpose to spare the city, that notwithstanding its wickedness, had been led to repent, he should have been the first to rejoice, amen, because of God's amazing grace. But instead, he allowed his mind to dwell, get this, he allowed his mind to dwell upon the possibility of being regarded as a false prophet. Jealous of his reputation, he lost sight of the infinitely greater value of the souls in that wretched city. The compassion showed by God towards the repentant Ninevites. Get that. Jonah thought about his reputation more than the lives and spiritual lives of 120,000 people. Jonah was so self-centered that he thought, whoa, if this prophecy that God gave me didn't come true, then people might think that I'm a false prophet. That's what Jonah was worried about. And so often I believe that's what we're worried about as well. When we share our message with other people, we are so often worried about what they're going to think about us, right? I don't know about you, but I've, I've been around in the grocery store before, whatever it may be. And, you know, right in here, I've got Strong Tower radio cars and Bible City Offer, right? And they're just waiting to be handed out. And oftentimes I pick out somebody there that I know needs one. And yet that little voice in your head that culture has taught you says, wait just a minute, what are they going to do? What if they reject you? And because of that fear, we walk away. Now that fear is magnified in Jonah. Jonah was able to convert that city, and yet he was more worried about his reputation than about the souls of other people. I can tell you this much. If you follow God where he wants you to go, you're going to have quite a reputation. It's going to be a fantastic Fantastic reputation. It's not always going to be looked at good by society, that's for sure. But in God and His people, your reputation is going to be that of power and that of faithfulness to our Heavenly Father. I want my reputation to be God, with, to God to be spotless. Jonah here did a lot of wandering in his life. Look what he says. Look what it says here. We're going to reread this. Jonah chapter 4, verse 11. Should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, where there are more than six score thousand persons that cannot consider, that cannot discern between their right and their left hand, and also much cattle? Jonah here, we leave in the book having a pity party in a desert because a plant died. Honestly, I don't know if we're going to find Jonah in heaven. I'm not sure, because we don't have any more truth about what happened to him. But I do know this about Nineveh, and it's a really sad truth. Jonah took them on one leg of the journey. They had all confessed that God was God and that they needed to repent of their evil ways. That's step one, isn't it? And Jonah got them there. But then it says, and God says right there in that verse, that they didn't know their left hand from their right hand. And guess who needed to teach them? Jonah. Jonah's work wasn't done in Nineveh yet, do you think? Jonah had had just converted that 120,000 people to believe in God, but wasn't there a whole lot more truth left to be preached? There was, wasn't there? We can preach from our pulpit all the time that we need to repent and that we need to have baptisms here and all those things. We need to lead people to Christ. That's fantastic. And they're baptized. Praise the Lord for that. But brothers, that's our work that's just beginning. These people need to continue in the faith. 
There in Acts, when those people had been baptized during the day of Pentecost, it says they were baptized and continued steadfastly in the faith. And the people of Nineveh needed that teaching from Jonah, and Jonah failed to give them that teaching. 120,000 people had been spared the wrath of God and destruction. And we find just about 50 years after Jonah was written, or we think was written, and Jonah was around, the city of Nineveh was destroyed. History tells us that it fell very similar to that of Babylon. It fell overnight. The Ninevites went back to their evil ways without someone there to teach them about what God wanted. And eventually they were destroyed. We have a responsibility, don't we? Not only a responsibility to share with people about Christ and what he's done for us and to be justified, but we need to teach people about how to live a godly life, amen, and how to be sanctified. It's one thing to, this is for an example, it's one thing to know that the Sabbath is Saturday, but it's a whole nother thing to know what to do on the Sabbath and how to keep it. That's one thing that we've lost so much. The Sabbath isn't a list of things that we shouldn't do, but it's a list of things that we get to do, amen? And so many Adventists today don't know how to keep the Sabbath. We're here to teach them. And the Word of God is here to teach us. Jonah could have done so much more, and that city could have been a powerhouse for the gospel if he just would have stayed. But yet he failed to do that, and the city of Nineveh repented and then fell back worse than they'd ever been before. There's a story of an old farmer who had been doing his crops all day. This was back in the 1800s back when they had horses and buggies and they had plows connected to horses and all that good stuff, right? And his dog, his new puppy, for about a year, had been good all day, had followed him around and hadn't started the horses or anything like that. And the farmer needed to go into town, so he hooked up his horse and his buggy and started pulling out out to town, which is about five miles away, and his dog started following him. Now, I don't know about you, but you ever pull away from your house and your dogs follow you? Stay back, stay home, right? And as this, this, this farmer was, you know, trotting away on his buggy, his dog started following him. And he thought, you know, it's only five miles, and this dog has been so good today. Let's give him a little treat, right? So the five miles, of course, went on, and the farmer finally got there with his dog. And he went to the mercantile there, or the, the shop. And in those days, they had those really awesome structures that were stores where they had the store and then around them was like a veranda, right? Where people would have rocking chairs and a checkerboard and they could be in the shade, right? Well, this dog, as soon as they got to the store there, went right up into that veranda area and lay down right on its back with his feet in the air and just started panting, right? He was tired. He was really tired and he was thirsty too. And the farmer didn't think anything of it and walked into the store and, you know, picked up the things that he wanted. He got his Roma because this was an Adventist, right? Didn't get coffee. Just messing with you. He got all the things that he needed, and he went up to the went up to the store master there and got his stuff. And the merchant looked over at his dog and was a little bit upset with the farmer. And he looked at the farmer and said, "Why would you take your dog this far? Look at how he's suffering." Of course, the dog was really thirsty. He was a little bit overheated too. And so he continued to tell the farmer how he was an irresponsible dog owner and all those types of things. And the farmer took it and took it and took it. And then once the store or the shop owner had finally stopped, the farmer looked up and smiled and then went on to explain himself. He said, you see, we only live five miles down the road. That's not that far for a dog. 
But here's the thing. My dog went and explored every rabbit hole. He went and looked at every fence. He went over there to see that tree. He went and chased those turkeys. He did so much zigzagging that if he would have stayed faithful to the path, he would be just fine right now. But because of all that sidetracking, that's why that puppy is so worn out today. And I believe that farmer said something profound without realizing it. So often on our Christian walk, God has given us a straight shot to heaven. What do you think? He's given us that shot. It's a distance, but it's there. And we know how to get there. But yet in our lives, so much we do exactly what that puppy dog did and what Jonah did. And we do a whole lot of zig and zagging. Every temptation that the devil throws out on this side of the road or any false doctrine that he throws out on this side of the road, we sniff it out and we're there, right? And we, and we slowly get off the path. Then we see the next one and we're there. And when we finally get back to the path towards heaven, we're so worn out and tired that we can't even continue on. And that's exactly where the devil wants us. Jonah was so worn out from his zigging and his zagging that he just would have been faithful to God He could have saved the lives of 120,000 people, but yet he didn't. And history is very clear about what happened. I don't know what you might be zigging and zagging on today. It might be something that's completely different than mine. I'm not sure. But let's stay true to the pole. Amen. Amen. Let's continue along the straight shot that God has given us. Because there's going to come a time when there's going to be a lot more temptations. There's going to be a lot more trials. It's already starting to be socially unacceptable to believe in God. It's already becoming socially unacceptable to go to church and to pay your tithe. All these things are starting to get more socially unacceptable until very soon they're going to be unacceptable, period. And shortly after that, it might be enforced. But I believe that we're living in a time of the end. A couple hundred years ago, sure, you might have had time for zigging and zagging, She'll have done it then. But today as we look at the news, we look at the prophecies, there's no time for any of that nonsense. There's no time for any wind of false doctrine. There's no time to waste your time. The only time that we have today is to make sure that we're close with our personal Heavenly Father and that our family is on that right track. Is there somebody this week that you know is zigging and zagging along Maybe it's you, I'm not sure, but that needs to get back on the path to righteousness. Don't let the devil fool you with rabbit trails. He fooled Jonah, and Jonah was a prophet of God. If he can fool a prophet of God, he can fool you, and he can fool me. We need to be on our knees daily, not before it's too late, but constantly with our Heavenly Father. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your Sabbath. We thank you for the truths in your word and in simple stories like this, Lord. As we continue to study week after week and as we continue to have a prayer life, Father, I ask that we would grow closer to you. Father, may your spirit be with each and every one of us this week. May we not be Seventh-day Adventist Christians just on Sabbath, but on every single day of the week. This we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit 
www.audioverse.org.